Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations Z. Today, we got Kiazi, we got Caitlin, and we're talking about abundance versus scarcity. So we're talking about stress and relationships and where that stress comes from and how a lot of the stress could come from us holding on. So if we, if we are approaching relationships from a mindset of scarcity, and what I mean by that is we go in and we're always jockeying for position. We're trying to manipulate the other person. We are trying to make sure that things turn out exactly the way that we want. That's a scarcity mindset because we're trying to get instead of trying to give. That leads to a lot of stress. And it leads to stress because we're holding on and we're trying to control. And it just becomes very complicated. We're second guessing the other person. We're wondering how they're going to react. We are wondering whether we're giving up too much of ourselves. We see this in intimate relationships between uh, partners uh, where maybe you don't want to get too closely involved with someone. You're a woman, you're afraid the man is just out there looking to get sex. And you feel like, no, I really need someone that I've got to settle down with. Uh, so you've got two people who are coming at it from different angles, each trying to extract something without providing anything in exchange. You see it in business relationships where it's not so much about how can we build something together. It's more how can I structure the terms of this deal to get what I want out of it, get the most for myself, give the least back to the other person. And I think you see it just more generally when you have expectations going into relationships with anyone whether it's friends, whether it's family. I've seen this in my own life. A lot of times when I'm feeling stressed, it's because I expect the other person to act a certain way. I expect them to call me when I want to hear from them, uh, to show up on time, uh, to be that sympathetic ear at certain points, and maybe they're not emotionally available or whatever the issue is. Not so much an issue for me, maybe an issue for my wife, but, uh, but you get the point. So all of this to me, gets to a mindset where we are trying to control, we're trying to extract, we're trying to manipulate, and that leads to tension, it leads to stress, it impedes flow, it prevents this natural exchange, uh, this fluid dynamic where we've got, we're opening ourselves up to someone else, where we're giving, we're also receiving, uh, we're really forging a strong connection when we open ourselves up. When we're trying to take, we're implicitly closing ourselves off. So in a sense, it undermines the entire, the entire definition or the entire nature of a relationship if we go into it trying to extract and we go in with that scarcity mindset. That's really the topic we have today. We've got a lot of examples of this. We have relationships we can talk about that are friendships, that are new relationships, that are old relationships, that are intimate, that are business relationships. So Z, I'm going to kick it back to you. Where do you want to start us off? Well, Vin, you always... Um trigger me as they say nowadays in a nice way and I have my wonderful nephew here um, just always great when he's around um, and I'm gonna put him on the spot like he's going through some stuff it's, it, it, look if he's going through it I'm going through it let's put it that way and because when you have not just familiar relationships but also I have other family members that that we don't we're not as close as Kiazi and I are. 
So I wanted to make that clear. So when we look at familiar biases, they exist because the family is the, is the kind of admission to the show, but the real show is amongst those who interact on a deeper level, and it, has, it is not uh, superficially or materially transactional or things like that. It's really part of the soul of yourself. And so also being um, kind of an elder in a sense, I, I observe his life and I try to offer guidance to the best of my ability without interfering with his individuality. So he may make a decision or different decisions that I might not totally agree with, but because the, you have that intimacy factor, you make adjustments and you learn things. So he's regrettably going through a, a difficult time, a divorce, child custody stuff, and I'm trying to get him laid. I'm trying to get him dates. I've always told him, you know, there's nothing uh, more soothing. The way to get rid of stress is having this like a beautiful woman wrapped around you, whatever. That's just me, okay? I'm a dinosaur. I'm from another era in time. Life was simple. Uh, the sun is shining. Uh, the birds are singing. And you got some woman wrapped around. So that's pretty much it. So you guys can call me primitive or whatever. I, I don't really give a damn. But I'm just using that as an example. And so I, I meet a few girls, young ladies. I say, look, I got this nephew. There's a big six-foot guy, perfect shape, eight or nine percent body fat, maybe five percent body fat. Might be fat right now. Um, looks good. He's got his self together. He's dotted his eyes, crossed his teeth. He's got a bunch of college degrees. Works his ass off. He's really done a lot with his life. All he wanted was a nice family, got in a situation, didn't work out that way. So he has to do a restart. So I tell this girl, look, here's my nephew, um, hot young dude. Why don't you just hang out with him? Just enjoy company, nothing heavy. Immediately the girl goes into heavy stuff. Pettiness, and I find that petty because if you relate what each person is going through and you stand back, here's a person who is in really going through some heavy stuff. And here you, maybe your soap opera didn't come on right on time, or whatever it is that you try and, you try and do a stress comparative. So that for me is problematic where people do comparatives of stress. Just enjoy each other's company. And if you don't know the future, well, maybe, you know, he won't be serious about me. Maybe I should uh, take it slow. No, life moves fast. The earth moves at 1,033 and a third mile an hour every day, moving fast in the speed of time, sound. So you cannot take it slow. Okay, let's take it right now. Let's go do it right now. And if we really enjoy each other's company, we're going to just keep doing this. That's the nature. That's the momentum of joy. Joy has its own momentum. So I just want everybody out there who gets confused by a lot of this relationship advice. Joy has its own momentum. So if you're enjoying yourself with somebody, you will tend to do more of that. If you're not enjoying yourself with somebody, you will tend to do less of that. It's a basic physics equation. You could look it up, Physics 101, okay? Right next to Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Okay. And relationships of all kind have various intensities of the basic three. And no, it's not the three S's, Caitlin. Caitlin wanted to tell everybody about the three S's, which was sex, supper, and shut up which were I the things that, that were that important. Now, and now it is her philosophy. And I was going to say, first thing is in relationships, there's intimacy, there is trust, 
and there is communication. So let's look at every kind of relationship and see does that not fit. So you have a best friend. You got a number of best friends. Caitlin, you got one or two friends maybe? Kiazi has many friends. So I don't know. I'm just, you know, I think you have one or two people that stop by. and um, More like one or two hundred. Okay, well, good God. Okay, that's great. <laughs> great for you. So when you think about your best friend, Kiazi, let's talk about our best friends. So you know Mamu, you know my friend Kevin, been friends since ago. I can share anything with him. And I trust that what I share with him, it is not distributed, mis misrepresented in any way. Like that's, he's the dead body in the trunk, friend, right? So that represents trust. I can trust him with anything. The intimacy is the ability to go through a range of feelings and still hold that space in that situation. The communication is I never have to purse my words or check myself or my temperament with him. I never have to shield that communication. Now, it goes into your model of where do people develop. Those models are the models you take into intimate relationships. And when you don't have that in more sensual relationships, they are not sustainable. Because when I told you earlier, joy has its own momentum. In order to, to help perpetuate that momentum, you cannot have parasitic or friction losses. You can't have episodes of distrust. That's like putting the brakes on the train. You can't have episodes of non-intimacy. That puts the brakes on it. You can't have a number of episodes of distrust. That puts the brake on the momentum of joy in a relationship. And joy is what perpetuates the relationship through all the seasons of life. So you have best friends like that. You obviously have some some of your boys. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah. Just in terms of my personal relationship. Um, the range, how, what you learn from those that carry on into intimate relationships, sentiment, you know, from how you treat people mm -hmm. to how you treat women. You know, you learn some. There's a, there's a there's a line. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so. Not to derail it, I, th I think just like you said during this season, I'm doing a lot of self reflection mm -hmm. in terms of what I bring to relationships and how, in the, the different elements of my life, there's kind of a reoccurring story plays mm -hmm. and how super close relationships. Uh, pan out and and ultimately it's i'm a giver my love language is giving providing service you need help i'm here mm -hmm. um and my innate i don't even want to call it the expectation is that you know today i'm, I'm able to, to provide and share and, and as we are social beings i'm going to need that support in the future so oftentimes in relationships that and this is a new a new kind of realization that i'm going through that don't work out is that I've poured so much in and then left high and dry on the, on the flip side. So I think, mm. you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 you, you give, you give, you give. And then on the moment when you're low and you need, then, then, then for those that for those relationships that have not con continued and they, they have historically been very, very close ones. Um, 
not all intimate, but familial, um, they it's always left like, well, shucks, I went to hell and back and, and I'm just requesting to drive up the street. And it's just like nah, and so you know I don't I don't I don't know if that speaks to something well, different. It does, well, it but... does. What I'd like to say, what 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 I'm hearing um, from you, Kiazi, is you talk about your love language and your archetype, mm-hmm. and it's good that you make that observation. But I want to make another more dispassionate observation for all of us mm-hmm. who are opting out and trying to listen, trying to be better people. So my nephew here describes himself as a giver, which he is. He's been that way all of his life. But he's also discriminating with that. He's selective in his judgment, which is now he's questioning his judgment. So there's a difference, different types of givers, right? There's a magnanimous giver. There's the giver who just for the sake of giving gives. That's what Khalil Gibran talks about. So the benefit of that type of giver is that's just what you do. You're just like a well that the water comes out like one of those geysers in Yosemite every day at a certain time, uh, old faithful. That's what they call it, spits up water. Everybody goes, wee, yay, but there's nobody attending to it. And I think recently Old Faithful stopped. Everybody was worried. Well, they, they had been blocking off the water supply to it for years for industrial reasons, and now it has nothing else to give. And people go, oh, shucks. But they never gave anything to it anyway, so they don't miss it that much. Mm-hmm. So you want to be careful about the, the type of giver you are. Because being a giver, and then and, and when you judge your giving or you, you look for those who are worthy, you can go, it's easy to become a, from a giver to a Captain Save-A-Ho. Yeah. You can, it's, it's one block yeah. from being Captain Save-A-Ho. And yeah. what I mean by that, for those who aren't aware of that, is that you put on this uniform and you go and you jump and rescue people you think need help or rescuing, but they really don't because they put themselves in a position that they... In their own discomfort, they find it comforting. That's like domestic violence or things like that. Again, people are going to say, don't blame the victim. But the first time you're a victim, second, third, fourth time, that's just how you roll. right? That's just how you roll. So you can't help those people. You can only interfere with what they're doing anyway. That's like when people try and help the homeless, for example, and nothing seems to come out of it. But there may be a person who could benefit from resources, but you can't go in and rescue them from their lesson. That's their lesson. And so what a giver type of archetype, if you deem yourself that, is you want to find another giver that keeps the abundance and sustainability so Old Faithful can keep doing what it does and it's not being depleted. The problem is the ego. When you, Most people feel they deserve more than they get. We talked about that earlier today. With, with you, you see these dating things where you know, there's somebody who wants a, an extremely intelligent, wealthy person that's super handsome and does all this and, and, and that, and, that, that, and they want that person, but they're not themselves that person, right? You get that all the time. Um, so... We want to know our first, know ourselves, know our archetype, get to know yourself, and then look at the people that you're drawn to because a person who is a giver may be attracted to a person that seems that they could benefit from that need, but you want to check your ego and say, what am I rescuing this person from? What am I helping them do? And what do I want in return? That's the hardest thing. So you want consideration, acknowledgement, And I get that. I go through, 
as I'm talking to Kiazi, I can hear myself where you want what you put in. The problem is, is that each person believes themselves to bring the best meal at the potluck, if you understand me. Everybody going through the potluck thinks their meal is the best. Even the person that just went and picked up some oranges on the side of the road came there and ate the 10-course meal. They said, well, I brought oranges. You didn't bring any. You, you brought some genetically modified or, uh, bootleg uh, oranges off the street that cost you a dollar, and half of them were bruised. We're bringing in cuisine, sweating all night, all day to make a good meal, and that's your offering. But for many people, they said, yeah, because they feel that their very presence is a value. That's the ego. You see? So we have to be aware of how it affects all of us in relationship dynamics. So when you look at something as simple as trust, trust can mean different things to different people. It isn't one thing. What do you trust me with? So for me, and let's say for some people, maybe trust represents stability. I can count on you. So if I have a trusted lock from the lock company, they have a, it's a, that, that lock holds up. It consistently holds up. If I have reliability in a car, it's a trusted brand. That means it starts every time, it gets you home every time, mm -hmm. and there's something very wonderful and boring mm -hmm. about the fact that that's not something you have to wonder about. Mm -hmm. So I look at trust in that way. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're doing, you're consistent and there's clarity. You know what works, you know how to go through the formula, and you do it consistently. Intimacy, meaning an understanding, the word into, into, intimacy, in, let's say that means into my mate, or that ability to connect with somebody. That means that in the quiet of our shared space, that I don't have to be guarded. It's really that simple. And we can share that in a unique way that maybe is not shared with others. Okay, and understanding a connection. So communication is two ways. The ability to, through whatever conveyance of communication, you share understandings, not in innuendo, not in rolling of eyes, not in gestures or hints, but very clear communication. Now, the pitfall or the challenge of that is the ability to accept constructive criticism. So if anytime your friend, partner points out something to you, do you stop right there and say, no, no, let me explain. Uh, no, 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 I didn't do that. Or what about you? What about the way you used to tell your buddy, hey man, you're driving too fast. Well, what about you? You were speeding last week. You see, that inability to deal with constructive discourse and it's really damaging in a partnership especially an intimate partnership because that's when the communication stops when the, when you can't talk to somebody without them being defensive communication's over because now the ego has jumped up and it, it, it doesn't want the ego is an ignorant brute it just no no I don't want to hear but we all have the potential to do that I don't want to hear it you know, Mao writes about it in the Little Red Book on Combat Liberalism, and I always use that because it was such a teaching tool 
for me to be able to listen to criticism and to be able to do some self-analysis based on what I hear and then say, hmm, I get where they're coming from. I may not even agree, but I get where they're coming from and it's worth looking at. Okay? So one of the reasons that it's important to talk about relationships of all kind is because one of the greatest bearers of stress is relationship dysfunctions, be it intimate or at work. If you hate to go to your job, you hate being in that relationship. If you go home and you're in a, 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 a distant relationship, all these things rob you of life. They, they, they undermine your immune system. So that's one of the reasons we're talking about this. And then we want to look at formulas and solutions. What are you thinking, Vin? See, there are a couple of things that come to mind as we're talking. One is this point you made about just being happy, that you do more of the things, or I think you, you use the word joy, that you do more of the things that bring you joy. And around those people where you've got interactions that are stress-free, and you don't have to worry, you don't have to deal with the drama. Maybe that's not true for everyone. Some people seem to feed off drama, they like drama. But at least for myself, if I'm hanging out with someone and I don't have to worry about upsetting them about what I'm going to say, about what I'm going to do, about whether they're going to come and just complain and unload on me for 45 minutes of the interaction, it's a much more enjoyable experience. If I have to worry about the drama and the stress and am I going to offend them or disappoint them or if I'm running a few minutes late, are they going to flip out? That's a totally different interaction. That's not something that I want to be a part of. I think of a good friend of mine who I hang out with, and one day he told me something about him, like some kind of sick stuff. It wasn't that sick, but it was stuff that he was embarrassed. Like he was clearly hesitant to tell me what he was going to tell me. He was afraid that I was going to judge him. I didn't care. I was like, yeah, whatever. It's it's not a big deal. I do whatever you want to do. It doesn't bother me. And that profoundly affected him. The next half hour, he was almost just sitting there in, in peace. I mean, he was just so relieved, so so calm that he didn't have to face judgment because he was already judging himself. He was already anticipating that I would start shaking my head and looking at him and saying, good God, man, what, what are you doing? And I created the space for him to, to just be okay. And it, And we're still close. We still hang out a lot. But that's one of the things that he appreciates about me, that I'm just cool. Like, whatever you are, whatever you do, it's good. We can be up front. If it's not good, I'll tell you. Or maybe I'll just, you know, if it's so disgusting, then maybe I'll get up and walk away. And <laughs> fine, that's a risk you take. But I'm not going to sit there and create drama around these interactions. So it, that comes to mind when I hear you talking about joy. I think about my own relationships. Yeah, if I'm with someone... And I constantly have to worry about what I'm saying or worry if I'm going to set the other person off. I don't want to be around it. I would just rather be somewhere else. I'd rather be alone. I remember this cousin of mine who I'm pretty close to, but I don't talk to this person that often. He's wrapped up in whatever whatever stuff that he's doing. This used to really bother me. And years ago, I had it out with him one day and I just blew up. And I was like, you never call. You're never there. And he went into this whole sob story about how I don't know his life and I don't know what stress he's going through. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? He's right. It's like, I'm not him. 
I don't know what he's going through. Even if I do know what he's going through, he's going to interpret that differently than I will. So why am I going into this with expectations? It's just stupid. All it's doing is causing me pain. And so I, I dropped that. And now it's a different dynamic. If he's around, we hang out, we have a good time. If not, it's fine. I'll, I'll go and do something else. So that stress-free aspect of relationships, I think, is is vital. I mean, it, as you're saying, it just creates that space where where we can feel good. You know, we can relax. We, we can feel alive. We can really connect with someone. We don't have our barriers up because we're not in survival mode, just trying to, to fend off different attacks. And it's rejuvenating because so much of life, and when I think about society, I think about jobs, I think about just the daily stresses of waiting in line or sitting in traffic. It's draining, man. It's like, it just, it's a constant assault. So we need that space that's stress-free where we can relax in the company of other people. And that's what gives us energy back. That's what restores us. And that's what I always feel when I'm around my kids, that no matter what I've gone through, they give me life. Just being around them gives me life. It's just so rejuvenating, no matter how annoying they are or petty. And it's because they're my kids. Uh, you know, if it were someone else's kids, it would be a different story. But because they're my kids, I don't have expectations. I've got infinite patience. And and because I'm in that mindset, it's cool. It's all good. I mean, it's just, all, I shouldn't say always, not 100% of the time, but the vast, vast majority of the time, it's great. I mean, I, I come out, I can be down from work, I can be down from whatever. I hang out with family and I'm recharged. You know, it's like plugging in to an electric socket or, or putting in batteries and, and I'm good to go. So all of what you've said around joy, I think is really important. And there's one other thing that comes to mind listening to you, Z, because you talked about Kiazi and being judicious about who you're giving energy to and whether you're getting that back. It makes me think about life strategy. We talk about that a lot. What is the right strategy for getting through life and getting through different situations? And there was actually a simulation that was done. Now, this is kind of wonky, but I think it's interesting. There's a game that you can play where if you've got two people, you've got multiple rounds. And each round, you can either cooperate or you can screw the other person. So the way that it works is that if you cooperate, you'll get $50 each. If you screw the other person, uh, but the other person wants to cooperate, so you're the one screwing them, but they're going at this in good faith. Maybe you'll get $75, they'll get zero. And if you both try and screw each other, you'll get zero. Uh, so in any given period, it's optimal to try and screw the other person and hope they don't try to screw you so you get the 75 But you know that if you're playing this game multiple times, basically if you're going to see them again, you know, if it's not one and done, if you have to see them the next day and the next, then you're more likely to cooperate because if you screw them once, then they're going to screw you and you're both going to end up with nothing. So there's actually a simulation of this game. There, These academics did some research and they said, okay, this is a model of human interaction. You know, how do we go into human interactions? Do we go in trying to be conniving, trying to outguess the other person? And people came up, they actually had a competition and people came up with all these complicated rules for how to win the game. Like, let me try and outthink the other person. So if they've first tried to screw me, but then they were nice and they've been nice for a while. Maybe I can try and screw them and just do it once at the end. And so everyone came up with all these different rules. And the one rule that worked that was the most successful is called tit for tat. It's a very simple rule. All it means is I'm going to treat you the way you treat me. So if you cooperate, I'll cooperate with you. If you don't cooperate, I'm not going to cooperate. 
And that turned out to be a more successful strategy than anything with one caveat. And the caveat is that when you start, you give the person the benefit of the doubt. So you don't know how they're going to act. So the first thing you do is say, I'm assuming that you're going into this with good faith. I'm going to act the same way. I'll reciprocate. If you do what I expect and you also approach the situation the same way and you got my interest at heart, then we'll keep on cooperating. If you screw me, I'm going to screw you back. That turned out to be more successful than anything else. And it's interesting to me because it's so simple. It's so intuitive. It reminds me of what you're talking to Kiazi about, that you just have to be careful. Uh, yeah, you can go into something with the best intentions you can give, but you can't do that indefinitely. You can't do that if you're getting no reciprocation. So you do have to have your eyes wide open. So those are some of the things that come to mind, Z, as we're, yeah, we're talking I like about that, this. And Vin, we're and it, from it, Kiazi. I like that. And all of us have different temperaments. And the tit for tat is just a perfect way of saying it and not a negative way. What I try to do, I also use the term that we use in the military, I'll go through the door first. That means that's who sets the example. The person who's willing to go in fully committed and then set the standard for everybody else. And it, it, it's not so much about the person going through the door first, it's everybody that follows them through that door. Are you being a good example? Are you giving as much as you're taking? Are you really seeing the sacrifice and the bravery of this person that is setting a standard. So if you talk about the tit-for-tat thing, I think about uh, Kiazi, who is innately a builder, a giver. He carries our family legacy to the fullest. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's going through the door first. Everybody else can follow his example, or you could try to burden him more. Or you could try to do a false comparative. Well, I'm not doing what he's doing, but I'm doing something similar. No, you're not. You're not doing anything like that. And then I, I see that too in, in our shared personality types. I've always tried to, as you know, as we work together, be an example. I'm very open-hearted with my teaching, open-hearted with my students. That works for me. And then if people don't respond to that, I cut them off. Pretty simple. Um, I used to not, I used to, it, and it's, it's very draining, and you still tend to work on that because you pour and invest your life force into situations because you want that the same. But Kiazi and I, we have similar things that went on in our childhood. We had a tremendous number of losses early in life. And so what those losses taught us was to strive to be more magnanimous and open-hearted to create the reality you would like where those losses are, are not keeping you as sore. They're not haunting you the same way. The challenge is that people who have never been through that, and that's why I always hope for a person who has gone through tragedy, loss, and death. The lesson in death, as I've always talked about, is the finality of death, the lack of constancy. Death, all motion is ended. There's nothing you can't do. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. So did you learn anything? Did you take that lesson of grief? And did you learn for those who remain, the living, how do you treat them? Just like the Buddha asks us. How are you going to do this? So that lesson is, is ingrained in Kiazi. It's ingrained in I. So we tend to approach people we care about or interested in, and I'll go through the door first. I'm going to be the example of what you want. I'm going to strive for constancy. Some people say, oh, you're so predictable. Kiazi has heard, this is the way you are. Yeah, because 
I can count on that. If you are a person who is subject to whim and mood swings and, and, and egocentrism, I don't know what the hell. It's a roller coaster ride. It's like the bad roller coaster ride that Kia got on that dumps you off before it hits the ground and you splat on the ground. It's that roller coaster ride. It's the roller coaster ride from Caitlin's uh, water park with the broken slides that you lose a leg going down the slide. I don't want to be on those amusement park rides. That's how I look at people who are moody or unable to control their moods. And if you think about that, that is so destructive that whatever whim of emotion flashes through you, you act upon. So Kiazi understands that through horrific losses, that the fragility of life, the moment of life, is precious. That's a devotional way of looking at it. When it comes to relating things, that's why with friends, you always let your friends know right then and there, I'm with you, how I feel about you, what do you need from me? That's a common thing. People will learn from that. When you have a partner, you want to be able to say that to your partner. You want consistency. You want that sort of thing. But everybody's had different life experiences, and many people are fooled by the transiency of life. They think we can do this forever. We got time. Next week, we'll fix it. Oh, in the morning, we'll fix it. Or I'll carry a grudge for days, months, and weeks. And then at the end of that, months and weeks and years, we'll fix it. No, that person won't be there. You're not nurturing anything. So <clears throat> when it comes to um, those basic dynamics of relationships and health, people who are in healthy relationships tend to be healthy. People who have good friendships tend to be good partners. And I'm not talking about weak friendships, not with a lot of people. You have a few people you will meet in your life that you will be able to call friends, and even fewer family members you will call friends, because family members have their own challenges because you're born near them, you put up with their shit just because they're near you. They might not even be people that you would even pick for friends, but you put up with them. All relationships <clears throat> are based on gift and liability. What do I get out of it? What does it cost me? What, what is it taking from me? Any relationship that has more gift than liability tends to be a healthier relationship. Relationships that are bound by liability are intrinsically, inherently unhealthy. What is a relationship bound by liability? You see couples that stay together because of the kids. The liability, well, we have a house together. That's a liability. We have all these things that are pressuring us from outside to be together. Those are liabilities. If there are things that are drawing us together internally, I really like your company, I'm terribly attracted to you, we really get along, those are all gifts. And if you know that, then nurture the gifts, not the liabilities. Liabilities don't need to be worked on. But all relationships are based on gift and liability. So as we move forward, <clears throat> as Kiazi moves forward, I've been encouraging him. <clears throat> I discouraged him from getting married and all that, because I think the guys should get married when they're 45. That's just me. Get married when you're 45. You pretty much know yourself. Um, your uh, wife will be just getting out of high school, whatever, and you're okay. Again, shits and giggles, let's laugh about it. Don't get all upset. But men mature at a different rate than women. We also have a different fertility cycle. There's a lot of things, and we live in a complex world um, where everybody wants to achieve a lot, uh, but it takes years and years <clears throat> by the time people are chasing their, done chasing their achievements, they find themselves in their 40s and 50s. So if you're a really driven person with a lot of ambitions and goals, you're not going to have time for intimate relationships. 
with a woman, <clears throat> you're pretty much out of your fertility cycle by the time you finish career building. Now you find yourself in an urgent, desperate cycle to fulfill maybe a, a nature mandate if that's you. If not, you don't worry about it. But I, I see it a lot. So, <clears throat> and also giving time to things. If you have friends, spend time with them. I've learned I have a few good friends and we talk on a regular basis. Not about anything in particular. But what is it that you have of a person other than their voice and the, 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 and the fact that they share time on earth with you right now? They're sharing humanity with you right now. They're sharing humanity with you right now. And you need to know that because when they're gone, you can't make that call. You don't hear that voice. You can't make that connection. And for those of us who have been through it, we know it. So we tend to water the soil of those relationships. We tend to nurture those relationships. That's not everybody. Some people have been insulated from challenges and hardships, and it's very difficult to get them to understand the value of something they feel entitled to. Um, when you're in those more holistic interactions with people, your blood pressure goes down, your heart rate is normalized, your cortisol levels are lower, your oxytocin, vasopressin receptors are up, and you're working. Everything's working. So the normal stresses of everyday life are reduced tenfold just because you have healthy relationships in your life. So the thing we want to do is abandon as much unhealthy relationships as we can. Because the only reason we stay in unhealthy relationships is due to extraordinary liability or maybe the emptiness of hope. You hope it'll get better. But it doesn't get better on its own. As in nature, any an object that's in motion tends to stay in motion. If things are going a certain way, they tend to keep going that way unless you make changes. So fate won't do it. Time won't do it. Effort will do it. So if you want to make corrections, take it upon yourself and either excise yourself from the situation or make it better or accept that you're dying at a rapid rate. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I definitely follow you. And I get what you're saying. It's what I talked about earlier, that when you're with people that you care about, when you're open-hearted, you've just got that, that feeling of being at peace, of being whole. And as you're saying, Z, you can see that in stress indicators. You can see that in blood pressure and heart rate. That's going to impact the quality of your life, probably will impact the length of your life as well. One question I have for you is around how we do this. Not exactly how we do this, but some of the obstacles that, that we face at trying to create these healthy relationships. A lot of times, the stories that we tell ourselves about life are not in our best interest. We have a certain set of views about life because of what we've been taught, what we've experienced, what everyone else does. So for example, if we're getting into a business relationship with someone we might think, yeah, I've got to extract every single cent. Otherwise, I'm an idiot and everyone else does this. So I also have to be conniving. Or if I'm trying to create an intimate relationship, 
I don't want to give too much of myself too quickly because then this guy I'm with is going to think that I'm a total hoe and isn't going to want to marry me and uh, I'm going to be embarrassed and I'll be a pariah in my community, whatever it is. I mean, with friendships, maybe it's a little bit different, but you could even imagine situations with friends where you, we talked about this earlier, Z. I think you mentioned putting people through tests. And I totally agree with you. A lot of the drama that we create is basically testing other people. And we put them through hoops to make sure that they're willing to sacrifice for us for really for no reason. It doesn't give us any benefit. It just shows us that they're willing to accept a certain amount of pain. So if my friend isn't willing to to sit down for an hour and a half and listen to me complain about how terrible my life is and tell me that I'm right and everyone else is wrong, then that's not a real friend. And that's just how I've grown up. And that's how I see the world and what I've learned about relationships. Talk to us for a bit, Z, about some of these ideas that we have about relationships that might be misplaced, that might be counterproductive. And if we do have these views, what's the best way to to move past them? Yeah, Vin, this is only for people of the opt-out mentality, people who are really exploring the frontier of, of their own intellect, their own mind, to, to grow their mind. Because for the lay person who isn't working on themselves, you're just a subject to the folly and whims of fate. You really are. So when you think about what these, these kind of rules of relationship, you look at the different tiers or the depths of relationships. So during the, the, this cold morning season, I got to meet a lot of people in my father-in-law and my, my wife's community. And the way that they maintain relationships is to keep everything superficial. If you hear them talk, they never talk about any issue that would tax the consciousness. So they'll ask questions about, yeah, how have you seen so-and-so? Oh, they had two kids, one named Joe, one named Susie, and they did that. Oh, they're great. And how are the kids? They're two. Oh, that's wonderful. Then there'll be silence. So how is so-and-so's cleaning business going on? Well, they went through some ups and downs, but it's mostly up. They're doing well. That's the extent. There won't be deep discussions on politics social lives. There won't be deep discussions of any kind. So those relationships are able to maintain because they're not tense relationships. There's, they're, they're unstressful relationships, but, they're, but we can't stress them. They're like, they have, the, they have the texture and the um, durability of toilet paper. They're not heavy-duty paper towels, let me tell you, and definitely not cables. So you want to know what are the depths. Not everybody is supposed to be close to you. But you know you have people you can talk to, people you can't. You know there are people who you have to be aware of what every word you say. There's that relationship. So what we want to do is we want to know the tiers of relationships. This is a... Uh, this is a code black relationship, that means we can go all the way down. Then you have maybe a code red, a code green, a code yellow, and you have a code white relationship, which is very lightweight. You're not going to ever discuss really heavy issues. You're never going to rock the boat. There's no chance of you going anywhere that would tax you in any way. So you, you want to look, you, you can color code your relationships. 
right? Hopefully with your intimate partner, your best friend, it's code black. People you work with, code white or code yellow. Can't tell them what, how much you got paid. You know, you have those kind of people. You can't even tell them what you got paid. They're going to run back to the boss and use that against you or whatever it is, right? Then you have the code yellows. Maybe you guys both are fed up with it. You talk about pay together. Then you have the code red. Now you're striking and starting a damn union together and you're hanging out, getting shit face drunk or something, whatever. You know, in each, each tier of the relationship. So every time you start a relationship with somebody, you're code white or code yellow. That starts the relationship. Let me just get to be familiar with you. And so we want to regulate that. And also, you know how much energy to expend. You don't want to spend a lot of time with people who you're not really deeply vested in and they're not deeply vested in you. Because that takes time away from those relationships. You see? So for your own health, your own mental health, and in the challenges of the world, you want to strive for code black relationships. And there will only be a few of those now. Mind you, they're, they're not, like, if you're an internet influencer, all your relationships are code white. Nobody really knows you. You don't know them. Uh, it, the, the, the deepest effort you put in that relationship is to push the like button. That's how deep that relationship is. And that's it. So it's, it's no stress. You lose some of those people. You gain some. It doesn't affect the weight of your world at all. So if we could kind of look at relationships and color code them, sometimes family members, they're code yellow or code green. They're not necessarily code red and code black. Family members, because they're just your family. They, they, they know you in the way that family knows you, but you can't necessarily share certain things with them. They're not going to bring a lot to the table. They may take a lot. They may um, accept all of your offerings, but don't expect that from them. They may even share your name, share your DNA. But so, there's such a different temperament that you almost have to be more leery of them than you would a stranger because they uh, tend to know your, your, a lot of codes in your life. So we all want to color code our relationships for the sake of health. Just like you color code your vitamins, you color code or you show, I, I should say, if not, you have a, a, a metric of urgency or a metric of contrast or depth to all these relationships. And then you grow with people. As you get to know people, the colors get denser and denser. You think about when you meet somebody and you're like, wow, this is a weird person. And then that weird person helps you in some way. And then like you said with a friend, Vin, he shared uh, some information about you know him and a farm animal or something, and you didn't judge him. And that made him feel closer to you. So you went to a deeper you went to a deeper color code with that friend. You had more texture to that relationship. And then you find that you could share more with them. And, but you also understand the boundaries of every relationship. There are those that are boundless and there are those that have heavy boundaries. And that's all you want to do is stand back and look at those and also go into it knowing that not everybody is close to you. Not everybody has a need to know. People make a mistake. And they confide too much in people that they're not close to, and it comes back to bite them. Women, for sure, I will say, women I know who tend to talk and gossip with friends about intimate things in their life often comes back and haunt. I can think of cases where women have talked to 
their friends or mothers about relationship disagreements. And that person, will, the, the, the friends and the mother or whoever will hate that person for all the time they're together so they can never have, have, have interaction. I give example. I, I knew a, a couple who were going through a rough spot years ago. And the woman went and told her sister and her mother, oh, I'm mad at my husband because of this, this, and that. Well, now they've been married for 35 years, and the mother and sister are still not welcome in their home. They have to meet somewhere else, all because the wife, 30 years ago, discussed intimate issues in the relationship and left that up for opinion and judgment of people who were biased towards her anyway. And it was completely out of context of what even went on. So now that years later you want to invite the sister and the mother and now their kids to come over and they're not welcome because of how they mistreated the husband in a situation that was out of context. So it's best that you understand that that doesn't mean you have to keep secrets. You just have to know who you can share things with. And it just goes a long way to the healthiness. Not every relationship can be everything you want, but you can create the relationship you want if you're willing to let go of ideas you have about how things should be. Not everybody has the, the intestinal fortitude to be a close friend and accept them for that. That doesn't mean they're bad people. That's just not them. They maybe have, don't have uh, a way of controlling the ego because the ego will prevent you from being close to anybody no matter what it is. You follow me, Vin? Yeah. Yeah. The point is something that I've learned over the years, uh, this whole concept of setting boundaries and knowing what the limits are with different people. So I totally agree. And I would just add, <clears throat> it doesn't mean you can't be friends with people that aren't, uh, who can't open themselves up or who have ego issues. You just have to know how you rank them based on your color coding system. Uh, are they in the green zone, the yellow zone, the red zone? And then you can adjust accordingly. And I've had this conversation with my daughter. Uh, she's got a very good friend. I mean, she's only eight years old. Uh, she's got a very good friend. And that friend at times will do things to manipulate her, uh, will do things to get a reaction out of her, create some drama. And we've talked about this. And we basically said, look, it doesn't mean you can't hang out. You guys have a lot of fun together. So all of that is great. But just know the boundaries. Know that there are certain places that you don't want to go certain situations or conversations that are not acceptable, either you shut them down or you walk away, you figure out some way to manage. And that means that you avoid a lot of the conflict because, again, you're not getting into something trying to control. You're not trying to turn someone into something they're not or something that they're incapable of. Uh, you know, in a way, Z, it's an extension of this tit-for-tat discussion. You meet people where they are. And you take what they can give and you give in accordance with what they're providing. So there's some even exchange and all of that is going to be different. So, yeah, I, I totally agree that this idea that we're going to have all of these close friends and everyone around us that we spend time with is going to have our best interests in heart and they're going to be unconditional supporters. That's just not true. And maybe we get a handful of those people. I think about my own life. I mean, there are very few people who will just celebrate all my joys as if, it were their own, who are as happy for me when I'm succeeding as they would be if they were in the same situation. Yeah, Even I'm that people dude. I, I, you know, I, support, I support you like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, you do. And you I, do. I, I mean, learned that, man. I just want to chime in. I learned that from hardship to really support the people that are in your life and to love them in the moment you can. And I just want to interrupt you when you were talking about the children. I learned a lot from children, too. Just like with, uh, with one of your daughters having trouble with her friend, Drona used to try to buy friends. And what he found, he has a lot of toys. And different kids, the, the, first the neighbor's kids who were older than him would basically bait him. You can play with us if you bring your Hot Wheels over. You can play with us if you give us something. And Drona would give it, but innately he knew something was wrong. He just came and told me, he says, yeah, I gave away my car. I said, go get your car back. And I said, don't, don't play with them. You don't need to play with them if you have to buy their friendship. Then he was having that same issue at school. And I told him, just play by yourself or find other people. And he did it. And, and he's learning that. As where the, the younger one, um, Vyasa, if you're hanging out with him, he, he likes whoever's hanging out with him. You go about your, he, he's gone. He just goes back to his own thing. Completely different temperament on that. But it is something that our kids can teach us. You can't buy people. You can't bleed for people. They will like you or not like you based on nothing you're doing. Absolutely nothing you're doing. It's something to do with them. They will grow a fondness for you as, that, as the sentiment of your interaction with them is earned. That's why as you get older, I recently had a great martial artist come to visit me. Um, my friend was getting uh, uh, an acknowledgement for 40 years of martial arts practice. And a great master came with him to visit and he shared with me some of the times we had spent together as a child. And as I've gotten older, I have even more reverence because I'm able to reflect on the sacrifice. I'm talking about Sifu Bill Owens. He came down and he used to keep his studio open for us two in the morning, open it up for every kind of dance rehearsal, every group that's ever wanted, and never asked for anything. Never asked for anything in return. And as I got older, I said, I just imagine the millions he's given away to maintain the principles and the idea that he sees as what a community could be. And he's revered in a, in, in a very small area. He should be world famous for what he's done, but he's not. I also want everybody to remember that you can't make people what you want them to be. I've had hurtful experiences in my own life with friends that I, I, I felt like Kiazi. I gave, I was generous, I wanted to support the person. I wanted to help them grow their business, and I found out that that person was very envious, jealous, and even, I don't even know the right word for it, but they were angry at what they perceived to be my success. And it was a shocking thing because someone had to make it clear to me that that person was not what I was projecting onto them because I was blinded by my desire to elevate this person with the hope of them acknowledging in gratitude and loyalty the friendship, the familyhood. I, I wanted family. So I was trying to make it. I was trying to conjure it. I was trying to be this divine alchemist by I'm going to bleed, bleed, bleed. And from that, I'm going to infuse you with my life force and you're going to be this great friend. You can't do that. You meet people where they're at. You listen, you observe, you observe action. 
Let's talk to somebody like that. You can say every word in the world, or you cannot speak. See, not talking, not communicating is also communicating. You say, oh, I'm shy, or blah, 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 I'm an introvert. No, you're a selfish motherfucker. That's what you are. Open up. Express yourself. Let us know where you stand. Stand by your word. Fall on your sword. But just be clear. Let's have that fireside chat and let us be clear. And by example, not by anecdote, not by thoughts and whims of reaction, but really what's going on. Here's the action. A person can declare love for a person but never show it. That's nothing. There's the actions of love and there's the symbolism of love. Choose the actions of love. It's better that a person never utter a romantic word and do everything and, and, and give their heart to you than utter all sorts of romantic uh, memes but do nothing for you. All these declaratives. I declare I'm with you and, and you're nowhere around. So those are things that we can all do in our life just by being observant and being, being the example of what you want things to be or who you want in your life. What do you think, Yazzie? Um, yeah, I think that always leading by example is something I, I try to do on a regular basis. And I think uh, from a, some of the comments that were made earlier, I'm trying to reduce expectation as well in relationships um, so that when I go in, regardless of what what I give or, or what the news or someone, something, someone shared, someone, something someone shares, um, I'm not disappointed by it, right? And so that way, I'm 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 liberated. There's a weight off my shoulders, um, and I'm I'm at peace. Similar to the friend that shared kind of, you know, the scary news, or he thought he was going to be judged, and he was wasn't met with judgment, but was met with, you know, it's it's fine. Um, and so I think as I try to turn that corner and make that transition, um, it'll allow for more fluid movement through life. I do agree that not everyone is everything to everybody you have different people in your life that serve different purposes people who tell jokes they're people who you hang out with on a late night they're people who you yell at on the road you know what i mean like so you just have to realize that if you do meet somebody who's an eight or nine out of ten that's cool but you also have to be careful about projecting what you want someone to be what you think they should be um when they're not, because it's it's a it's a gray area. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you come in, you lead by example, and you think, all right, be, especially when they're good deeds, you expect that back, and so you and you start to see a little bit of the turn in the corner. So you might project project that, and then you it turns into to something where where it's an illusion because that that transformation may not be occurring, and then you're met with reality that it never really was happening. So reducing expectation in relationships, understanding that different relationships serve different purposes. And then just also accepting um, that life comes in seasons and emotions. So being still, accepting that emotion, accepting those ups, those downs, um, and that you'll never be able to get away from them and just learning how to move through them uh, is another uh, thought of mine. Well, I would say, too, as we come to this, Vin, I'll turn it over to you, is being agreeable as it said in the Vedas, being agreeable, 
really understanding the lay of the land. It doesn't mean that you go along with everything. You just say, oh, this is how it works. Being accepting, as Kiazi said, be accepting and know the capabilities and limits of a person and accept that. Be agreeable to that so you don't walk away always disappointed by people. Be the example. Avoid this idea of, as they say now, whataboutism. If someone offers you a critique, don't dispatch it by saying, what about you? What, did you, what about what you did last week? Well, we're here now, and let's talk about how it affects us here and now, and be okay with that. Give that, that ego boundary, put, put the dampeners on that ego, and just listen. And if you care about people, show it. Do things, do things out of the duty of caring. People hate that word, and I've talked about it before. There are duties related to friendship, the duty to nurture. There are duties in relationship. People hate to say that. Sometimes you do stuff in relationships you don't really like doing, but because they bring harmony to the relationships, you do and you learn to like that. It's like taking care of your kids. Mm -hmm. Or a car or any other stuff. Yeah, it's all, yeah, that's right, that's right. It's like if you want that car to run nice and be nice, you do maintenance on it. And if you want that friendship, that relationship to be healthy, you do maintenance. Mm -hmm. You do your thing and you do, okay, here are the things that, it's, yeah, it's kind of rough, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do these things because, you know what, it nurtures the relationship. Mm -hmm. So when people want a zero-sum game where they're putting nothing in and want everything out, that's the ego run amok. Yeah, nothing in life works Nothing in life, right? You're right, Kiazi. And so we want to be careful not to be that type of person. That's what I was warning Caitlin about, right? I'm always warning Caitlin because she feels like she's the little princess. She has all these people catering to her. I said, Caitlin, that ain't going to work. I told you that, didn't I, Caitlin? Caitlin, like, no, you don't know I'm Pocahontas or something. I said, no, you're not. You're just like maybe Pocahontas' makeup assistant or something, but you're not Pocahontas. So we want to really be careful of not being registic in relationship, acting like kings and queens. We should just be commoners in relationships and meet people where they're at and then elevate each other. That's what intimacy comes in. It's in the privacy of your relationship. You can elevate each other to any status. But as we move through the world, the practice is equanimity, agreeability, acceptance. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, yeah. I feel like this touches on on so many of the themes we talk about. Hearing this discussion, so much of relationships is managing ourselves, which we always talk about. Start with yourself. Start start with working on yourself, and that gives you the fortitude to go out into the world. So whether it's having the right mindset and having that generosity mindset whether it's setting the right expectations, setting boundaries, setting limits, adjusting your, your strategy when dealing with other people, these are the ways to get harmony. Uh, having expectations, foisting drama on other people, trying to beat them into submission. Maybe short-term it works. Maybe you can keep them captive for a short period, but either they rebel or it comes at a tremendous cost because it takes a lot of energy to maintain that situation. So if we can start with ourselves, if we can 
put in what we expect to get out, which is another very basic principle, I think we're in good shape. And that's really it for me, Z. Yeah, and I'll close, too, and, and then let Kiazi maybe have the last word. I just thought about some as you were talking. One of the reasons that having counsel benefits is because that counsel is a liaison of communication. They are a, an advocate of clarity where you can have, oftentimes, people can't talk to each other because familiarity breeds contempt, but they can talk to a third party. It's a strange thing. Maybe you've noticed it in your in situations, Vin, where you can say something to your wife and she won't listen to you, but another person will say it and she'll listen. You've had that experience, right, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I have that experience all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's a bizarre thing. <laughs> it's, it's more and, uncommon not to have that experience. That's right, and, it, and so that's why oftentimes here is, here, here, here is kind of the catch-22 of therapy. So couples therapy is often a scam because, again, often, I'm not saying always, it's often a scam because before a couple can go to therapy, each individual couple, member of that couple, each person in that coupling, themselves needs therapy on how to communicate. You follow me, Kaz? You know what I'm talking about, right? How do I communicate without defensiveness, without trying to get the therapist to point out that person's bad only, but to put the whole picture, and it's almost like a person has a hidden camera at your worst moment. And you, you're like a police beating people to death and the camera was on. It's hard to walk that one back. So if, you, if people record the stuff that they say, to each other, they would be ashamed of the playback. They would be absolutely ashamed of the playback. So an arbiter, a liaison works like that. But because we don't live in communities where there's trusted elders or trusted advocates, we tend to conscript this out to a dispassionate, unconcerned person with a degree in sociology of some kind or psychology. And that person sits down, but here's the, the benefit of it is, is if each person works on themselves and they can learn how to listen and to allow for self-critical analysis to soak in, you learn and you grow. But remember, you have to get to that point first because it's just like if you've ever played sports. Coaches are not good coaches unless you say, my coach is mean or my coach is hard on me. My coach is tough. Why is that? Why is that? Why is the nice coach never producing world champions? Because growth doesn't happen when you remain when in your square. Yeah, you have to be growth pushed. Isn't when you're yeah, coming. you have to push. I mean, you grow out of a pair of shoes; they get tight. That's right. It hurt. You grow out of that space. So any growth that you're doing is gonna come at discomfort. See, the one word that comes to me that's maybe not the foundation of all of this, but plays a role, is just humility, right? Even if, even if, even if you don't. On a couple's therapy, everything. Even if you buy, you guys don't seek individual therapy before, but you show up with a level of humility, understanding that all right, I gave it my best shot, but maybe I was off base. And sincerity, right? Yeah, that that allows for a more fertile ground for you to construct something new. But if it's cold and really, and then you, it may start there. But if it's there's an unwillingness to soften the ground, been, yeah. If you don't have the willingness, then the then it's. Yeah, you know, so humility is a, a huge part about, like, just relationship management, working, uh, you know, working together and building 
solid, functional, productive relationships is that that humility has has to be there. You're so right about that, Kaz. And I, we'll close in a second. I just think that these points are very important points for all of us in general, whether we're going through something or not, just to keep that good maintenance and keep our lives on a higher frequency. And I'll, I'll close with just a short story about relationships. And I'll talk about my best friend who, who died a few years ago um, that, of course, I miss every day. And uh, he was a part of my life for 50 years, my buddy Ant. And um, when we were in the military, I was very, very, I've always been extraordinarily disciplined and narrowly focused. And I was pretty anti-government when I was in the military because I wanted to maintain my focus on the concept of African liberation and I would not be sucked into some sort of ideology that diminished my awareness of the struggle of African people. So I did certain rituals in the military to just constantly wash myself from being propagandized into another view. So we're all subject to propaganda. So we were young guys. So Aunt, we got out of boot camp and we had grown up together through a lot of different things and we were in the military and I would always study, go do my workout, read up whatever book I was reading and you know, Kwame Nkrumah on guerrilla warfare, consensus or whatever. And then I would shut it down. Well, he was under tremendous amount of pressure. So he was invited to um, go drinking with some guys. Well, I've never drank. I was never, especially not hobnobbing with the enemy, so to say. So he went out one time. He said, Z, I'm just tired, man. I just needed a break. He went out and got, got some drinks with people. Wasn't drunk, but he just wanted to socialize and have a lighter time. He's a young guy. I didn't. I was from a different background, um, different energy, different exposure to things. So I was just holding my pose. And we stopped speaking because I felt that he was finding comfort in the frivolity and ignorance of the things that were undermining us as a collective Africans in dysphoria, whatever you want to call it. I was, I was very focused on this idea of, of, of Pan-African liberation. And I felt he betrayed the discipline. So I didn't speak to him for about a year. And it hurt every day for that year. Mind you, he'd been my buddy since we came to this country, nine years old, 10 years old. So what happened? We were walking down the street, strangely enough, where, and where we, we kind of grew up. And I run into him. He was on leave. I was on leave. We run into each other in the store. Just for a second, I said, wow, here's Anne. I hadn't seen him in a while but I've been bothering me. And he said, man, I'm sorry, whatever we fell out for wasn't important. You're more than a friend to me, you're my brother. And I've really, I missed you. And I see, I missed you too, man. And we made up. And then he told me a funny story that on his deathbed, he trivialized right, right before he died. He was funny. There was a song by Patti LaBelle that deals with friendship. How the two, two people who live together, laugh together, even want to die together, end up so far apart. It's called, Isn't It a Shame? And he said, man, I used to play this song, man, I couldn't listen to this song because of you. And even though it could be looked at a different way, he was talking about our, that friendship that we had. 
that is the foundation of relationships. And then right before he died, I said, yeah, remember that song, man, that Patti Bell song? He said, man, stop being all sentimental. We're done with that, man. We're here now. And it was funny. And he just, he brought the temperature down on it while he was dying, by the way. And I think about it. How is it that two people who are friends together, plan together, laugh together, even ready to die together, end up so far apart? Isn't it a shame we have to laugh before we cry? And that's in that song. And I would say for all of us, look at your friends, look at the people you value, and treat them like you value them. That's it for me, Vin. Well, it's great. See, I think we can close over here. You know, we've had a pretty wide-ranging discussion about relationships. We got started with this idea of coming to relationships from the perspective of what can I give instead of what can I get. Uh, we talked about life strategy, about tit for tat, uh, about some harmony and some even exchange, and uh, closed with really uh, just managing ourselves. And I, I think if we have that awareness, relationships are are some of the most beautiful parts of life. I mean, they really give meaning uh, to a life that otherwise can be cold and empty and, and frankly, pointless. Uh, you know, if we're not connecting, if we're not meeting people and having shared experiences, it's like that Japanese koan about a tree falling in a wood and no one's around. It doesn't even make a sound. Does any of this even matter? So let's just be smart about it. Let's be smart about those relationships. Let's manage ourselves and uh, let's enjoy it. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.